Welcome to Village Church of Gurney podcast. This week we start in our Advent season, the manger according to Isaiah. And the name of the sermon is called God with us. Pastor David will be preaching from Isaiah 7, 1 through 17. Let's join Pastor David now. We are starting in our Advent series, The Manger According to Isaiah, where over the next couple weeks we're looking at the Old Testament prophet, various passages in the book of Isaiah that point forward uh, to the coming, the first coming, uh, and ultimately fulfilled in his second coming when he returns again, the first coming of our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. So today, to guide our thoughts, meet me in Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 7, uh, verses 1 to 17, page 678 in the church Bible, if that's the copy of God's Word that you're using. And as a reminder, by the way, as you're flipping there, if you, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can actually keep that, that uh, church Bible provided for you, about shin height in the chair around you. So if, if you don't have a Bible... That's yours. Take it home. That's our gift for you. Isaiah 7, page 678 in the Church Bible. Uh, Let me start reading at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, the king of Judah, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. It's in the early 730s B.C., And you are King Ahaz, king of Judah. And if you are King Ahaz in the early 730s B.C., it's a rough season to be in. Because Ahaz has war actually surrounding him, breathing down his neck and staring him in the face. Now, we jump into Isaiah 7, and there's a bunch of different names and places that are unfamiliar, but it's important to know what's happening in this moment. That for Ahaz, in in, in the ancient world, in this time, uh, Assyria was the big, bad uh, superpower of their time. Assyria was known for their brutality. They were very public and proud about their violence. Assyria uh, was the nation to fear. They were the ones to be concerned about. And there was a threat of war. And Ahaz knows that. At the same time... Syria and Ephraim, Rezin and Pekah, the two rulers, Syria and Ephraim, they know that there's a threat of war as well, so they join in with each other. They partner up, and they say, Ahaz, won't you join us? Join this uh, uh, collaboration that we might join forces and stand against Assyria, but Ahaz says no. He doesn't partner with Syria and Ephraim, and this is where it starts to get complicated. Then Syria and Ephraim turn against Ahaz. He's surrounded, as it were. He's got war staring him in the face. He's got war breathing down his neck. 
And now Syria and Ephraim have partnered up and are against Judah, against Ahaz, against the king. And he is, as it says in verse 2, his heart and the heart of the people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. They're terrified. They're shaking in their boots. They know that they're outmanned. They know that they're outgunned. They know that they're outnumbered. And it's actually a crisis on a whole bunch of different levels. It's a personal crisis because if you're the king and there's a threat of war waging right in front of you, that's a terrifying thing. That's a scary thing, personally speaking. But it's not just a personal crisis for Ahaz. It's for his whole community. Everybody, everyone's hearts is shaking like trees in the wind, like like leaves uh, uh, um, vibrating on a tree. They're terrified. Ahaz is, is king of this area, king of Judah, and his, he himself is, is thinking about the threat of war. He's thinking about his people. His people are thinking about the threat of war, but it's not just a personal crisis. It's not just a community crisis. It's also a crisis of covenant, of God's promise. Notice that little phrase uh, in verse 2, when the house of David, it says, that's important. That's significant. That's just not uh, an accident. Remember, the house in lineage of David is the house in lineage that the king would come through. 2 Samuel chapter 7 says a king is on his way. And you'll be able to trace the coming of that king through the line of David. And if that lineage, if the house of David is facing the threat of war, now there's a concern of what if this war takes out that lineage? What if we just get wiped out? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my community? And what does that mean for God's promises? Do you see the crisis? Do you see the challenge? Staring him in the face and breathing down his neck. And maybe for a billion different reasons, different setting, different time, different place, maybe you know what it's felt like to shake like a tree in the wind. Maybe you've got a crisis staring you right in the eyes or a concern breathing down the back of your neck. Something's got you afraid. Something's got you uncertain. Something's got your heart all, 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 all tied up, ping-ponging to and fro. Maybe it has to do with uh, your, your physical body. Maybe uh, uh, there's a health crisis that you're navigating. Maybe it has to do with some relational strain and stress. Maybe in a marriage, maybe in a family. Maybe with your children, maybe with your parents. Maybe there's uh, an emotional challenge or difficulty that you're navigating and facing. Whatever the circumstances might be, though very different and, and, and varied among every single one of us, perhaps we can all think of a time, maybe past or present, that you have felt what verse 2 is putting words to. Your heart is shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Ahaz and God's people are neck deep in a crisis. What now? What next? <laughs> what do we do? Where do we go? What happens? God steps into the scene, and God brings his word. He offers Ahaz, and by extension through Ahaz, God's people, his word. He tells him, look at this, verse 3. Verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, the prophet, God's mouthpiece to the king, 
the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet, Haz, meet Ahaz, uh, you and Shear Yeshuv, your son. So Isaiah is going out with his son who is with him, his boy, Shear Yeshuv, and they go out to the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, God says to Isaiah, say to Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabel as king in the midst of it. God says to Isaiah, God gives his word through the prophet Isaiah, do not fear, take heart, do not be afraid, let not your heart grow faint, take care, be still. Do not be afraid of, again, Rezin and Pekah, Syria and Ephraim, ganging up against king of Judah, Ahaz, threatening war. Against, God's word says, do not be afraid, fear not, fear not. And it's important to note that in this moment, in this word, God's word is not trivializing the concern that stands before Ahaz, it's giving the perspective of God on the concern that stands before Ahaz. Notice that little metaphor that God's word uses to describe this threat of war that's standing right in front of Ahaz's face. Verse 4, do you catch that? Two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Imagine that you're at a campfire, the campfire is dying down, and just before the last embers give their last ounce of heat to the earth, <laughs> to the air, just as the last bit of smoke is trickling up, there's just those two burning embers on the end of the stick. Isaiah is saying, God's word is saying to Ahaz, that's your enemy. The heat is gone. The fire is gone. It's only a matter of time before those embers, those last coals of a lingering fire, give way and release all of their energy. Now, you're not trivializing the concern. You touch those things and they will burn you. <laughs> but God's word is saying, from my perspective, from my vantage point, he's comparing it to, to the perspective of God and the presence of God, and he's saying, Ahaz, take heart, take care, fear not, do not be afraid, let not your heart grow faint, take care. The threat in front of you is just like smoldering firebands, burning embers that are about to be extinguished and go out. Fear not. Why? Why? Verse 7. Because, thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. This threat of war, uh, this concern that, that Ahaz has. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. All that Ahaz need to do is simply rest and entrust in the word of God. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That God's word holds out an option to trust Yes, there's this threat of war staring you in the face. 
But these uh, embers are about to be extinguished. They're about to be gone. Within 65 years, it says uh, uh, God's word in verse 7, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. And even though Ahaz is outmanned, even though he's outnumbered, even though he's outgunned, God's word tells him they're not going to have victory. They're not going to succeed. That's why you can take heart. That's why you can not be afraid at the concern that's staring right in front of you because fear and faith, fear and faith, how do those play together? It's all a matter of God's proximity and God's power in God's word. Whatever's staring you right in the face, as concerning as it may be, and it may be, legitimately so, when you have the word of God and the promises that we can rest on no matter what, come what may, when you have the presence of God right by your side, you will be able to stand. All we need to do, all you need to do, all Ahaz needed to do was simply trust If he does not stand firm in faith, he will not stand at all. But the challenge about faith and fear, have you noticed it's never really a question of that we are trusting or if uh, we are trusting. It's always a question of what are we trusting. Um, Faith sometimes can feel like standing in front of the ice cream menu. Are you with me? (laughs) Uh, You know that you're going to have some ice cream by the time you get through this line. That's not a question. But what are you going to pick? <laughs> or sitting down at, at, at a wonderful meal at, at, a, at a restaurant, and you open up the menu, and you start to think, oh, no, now what do I do? And other people are ordering, and you think, oh, man, that sounds good, too, and that sounds good, too. And now, all of a sudden, I'm confused. I don't know what to pick. Sometimes the challenge of faith and fear is like that. It's not a question of if you're trusting something or someone. You are. The question is, who are you trusting? What are you trusting? God is standing before Ahaz, and he's saying, trust me. Trust me. There's going to be a whole bunch of other things that start to vie for your attention. There's going to be a whole bunch of other things that are starting to tempt you to trust in. It's more implicit in this chapter. We see it explicitly in 2 Kings chapter 16, but tugging at the heart of Ahaz, ironically so, Remember, he's facing this Assyria-Ephraim partnership against him. The threat of war is is right in his face. The temptation that's starting to tug at Ahaz's heart is, what if Assyria is on my side? Ironically so. The arch enemy, people that everyone was terrified of, famously brutal, uh, 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 had no thought for the Lord or his people, and and were the, the superpower of the time. Tugging at Ahaz's heart is, what if I trust them? What if I get their firepower? What if I get their resources on my side? Then I can face the battle that's in front of me. God says, trust me. Trust me. Have you been there? The different things that vie and tug at your heart that, that are competing voices, a possible God alternatives for your life. You've got a challenge in front of you. There will be temptations to put your hope and rest in other gods other than our God, other gods other than your God. That what gives deep calm to your heart in your greatest fears? What are those things in your mind that you say, I know that I can face anything because I still have fill-in-the-blank? Is it, is it resources? Is it your wisdom? Is it networks that you have? 
Is it, is it a family member? Is, is it a person? I, I know I can face anything because I still have my strength, my resources, my wit. I've got my community around me. The deep, deep, deep thing. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but do you see what I'm going for? What is ultimately giving you hope and rest? What are you ultimately putting your faith and trust in? God is saying, would you trust in me? God gives Ahaz his word, and he promises that Rezin and Pekah, Syria and Ephraim, they will fall. It's only a matter of time. The smoldering embers are about to go out. All you need to do is trust and wait. God gives him his word. And on top of that, in addition to that, God also gives a promise. A promise. A promise, this promise that is evidence of God's faithfulness, this promise that is a fruit of just how much God is going to stick with his people, just how much God is going to stick with his promises to Ahaz here and all the way throughout the Bible. He gives them a promise of a son, of a son. Look at these next verses. Check this out. Watch how this unfolds. Look at verses 10 through 13. And again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. Ask whatever you want, Isaiah is saying. But Ahaz said, I will not. God says, ask for a sign. Ahaz says, I will not. I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Isaiah responds, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? What's happening in these, in these verses? Ahaz is refusing the sign that is being offered from God. Now, at first glance, there's a veneer of piety around this, is there not? Well, you might think, well, didn't, I mean, Jesus himself said, I'll not put the Lord thy God, my God, to the test. So what's going on here? What, it's important to note that what what this is and what it's not, this is not a test from a place of doubt. There's a difference. That there is a way to come before the Lord and, say, and to kind of in our hearts say, Lord, I don't really trust you. I'm not really resting in your word. I'm not really resting in your promises. I'm not really resting in your character. But if you gave me a sign, if you gave me something, now I will trust actually in it. And my hope will be tied into that it, whatever it might be, because I'm not really trusting. That's a test from doubt. That's a test that's not coming from a place of trust from the get-go. It's saying, Lord, I don't trust you. Can you give me something else? That's not what's happening here. What is being offered here is evidence of God's faithfulness, fruit of God's faithfulness. God is initiating. God is saying, I'm about to give you a sign you want some skin in the game, ask for it. Ask for a sign, anything. Deep as Sheol, high as heaven, just ask. Ahaz says, no. This test is evidence and fruit of God's faithfulness. He's saying, I've given you my word, and I'm going to give you my promise. Do you want a sign to, to, to see it? It's a grace. It's a gift. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness. Ahaz says, no. And not only is that a a personal failure of, of faith for Ahaz. This is a low moment. This is not a high moment in Ahaz's life. This is absolutely a failure of faith where he is directly refusing what God's word has clearly given to him. Ask for a sign. Ahaz says no. But it's not just a personal failure of faith. 
There's something much deeper. There's something much more sobering. Uh, In this refusal of this sign, there is this very sobering kind of fallout and collateral and mixed in it the beauty of God's faithfulness and grace at the same time. Because what's happening in this moment, again, becomes explicit in 2 Kings chapter 16. Ahaz's heart is wrapping around not the covenant-keeping God of the Bible, but about the firepower and the strength of Assyria. He's facing a battle over here. He's outmanned. He's outgunned. He's outnumbered. And instead of trusting in the word of the Lord, he says, I'm going to have Assyria by my side. I'm going to use their resources. I'm going to use their strength. That's how I know I'm going to get through this. And in this turning of trust, Ahaz is not trusting the Lord. He's trusting an idol. He's not trusting the Lord. He's trusting a God replacement, a God substitute. And in that brings this very complicated and beautiful mix of both the consequences and devastating reality of sin and brokenness when we turn to trust anything else and the faithfulness and stick to of our God. Watch this. Look how this unfolds. Verse 16. Verse 16. Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings, Syria and Ephraim, Rezin and Pekah, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Remember, verse 7. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. What shall not stand? What shall not come to pass? The war that is threatened, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And still, even after this failure of faith, even after Ahaz has turned to other things than the Lord to trust in, still, in verse 16, we see the Lord saying, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. They still will be gone. Those smoldering firebrands will still extinguish and go out. Do you see what that means for you, for Ahaz, for us, for all of us? That even the chaos in front of him, this war that wages in front of him, even in our greatest failures, it still cannot derail God's word, and it still cannot derail God's ultimate redemptive purposes in the world. There's a grace in that. The the most chaotic moments that we can face, the most devastating of failures that we can step into ourselves, it still cannot shake the foundation of God's word out from under itself. It still cannot undo the ultimate redemptive purposes that God is seeing all throughout history. Do you see how faithful your God is? Do you see how faithful our God is? He's sticking with his word. He's sticking with his overall mission. And it goes deeper. It goes more. Check this out. Verse 17. Verse 17. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What we're seeing in this verse is a a sobering glimpse of even though the long-term promise will stay true, there's going to be a humbling season as well. In Isaiah, in in chapter 7 and chapter 8, is pointing to to early fulfillments, early glimpses of just how faithful God is going to be to his people. Look at this. Jump to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. 
I went into the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Haven't bumped into any of those. If you're ever considering a name for your grandchild or child, that one's still open. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried before the king of Assyria. The war that wages in front of Ahaz is going to dissipate. The Syria Ephraimite uh, uh, fear is going to be gone. Look through this son that God is providing, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Before he is even old, this is going to come, this concern is going to fade. In addition to that, though the devastating consequences of Ahaz's failure of faith would bring about a season of humbling under the Assyrian conquest, under uh, Assyrian exile, under Syrian dispersion, yet God's faithfulness is still with his purposes and his plan. Though Assyria, Assyria, the nation that Ahaz was reaching out to, what's unfolding here is that Ahaz is reaching out for a hand of help from Assyria, and that same source of false help would be the same nation that brings them into a season of devastation. And even so, even though those consequences of sin are unfolding for Ahaz and his people, even so, there is still hope. Where do we see it? Backpedal. Backpedal to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. Check this out, this little detail that I stumbled onto in studying this passage. I love this. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son. What's his name? Shear Yeshuv. What's that name mean? A remnant will return. A remnant will return. What does that mean for Ahaz? And then what does that mean for us? Even though the consequences of Ahaz's failure of faith would bring about a season of humbling in Assyrian conquest, still there is hope because why? <laughs> Shear Yeshuv. A remnant will return. A remnant will return. Though they are humbled, they will not be crushed. Though they fall, they will not remain fallen forever. Though it was a failure, it will not uh, derail God's ultimate redemptive purposes. And that means both in our sin, both in our chaos, we know that God is going to stick with us. And we can bring both our chaos and our sin and even the consequences of our sin, even the fallout of our sin. We can bring those to the Lord and have them forgiven and have the fallen consequences, the devastating consequences of our sin, even those restored and remade, that the pieces of Humpty Dumpty can be put back together again by the redemptive, restoring hand of our God. A remnant will, a remnant will remain. God's purposes will still be seen through. And I don't know about you, but I need to know that. We need to know that. That both in our lowest moments, our greatest moments of failure, and in the unfortunate, sobering consequences of those failures, we can bring both to our God. Because whenever we turn to an idol, whenever we turn to a false God, we think we're reaching out for help, but we're actually reaching out to a hand that's going to pull us deeper to our own demise. Every time the human heart turns to substance, 
for its ultimate comfort, its ultimate escape. Do you see that's a refuge that does not provide comfort? It actually drags us deeper down. It actually destroys. And there can be soberingly so relational fallout from that, financial fallout from that, physical fallout of the consequences of sin and that. Whenever humanity turns to, to other comforters, to other keepers, to other helpers, whenever humanity turns to other things, whether that's uh, pornography or extramarital relationships, do you see, you, you, we feel like we're reaching out to a hand of help and comfort, but actually that hand is drawing us deeper into our own demise. There can be relational fallout, financial fallout, physical fallout from the devastating consequences of those things. And I think this is important for us to know because we all, I think, know that this world is not just broken, it's complicated and broken at the same time. We start to see, okay, the brokenness out there is the same brokenness that exists in me. How can I know that I can bring that deep brokenness to God that it might be forgiven? But in addition to that, how can I also know that there's hope for the collateral and fallout of devastating decisions or moments or seasons, things that I've done, things that I've left undone, how can I know that God's faithfulness will still stick with me? How can I know that I will be forgiven? And how can I know that those broken pieces can be built back together again? Because I will never come to a God, I will never come to anyone to, to confess my, my deepest brokenness and bring uh, my, the most hurtful and shameful of collateral that's in my life, the collateral, collateral damage of sin. I'll never bring that to any God unless I know that he will forgive, that he has the grace to forgive, that it's right and fitting and just for him to forgive. And I'll never do that if I don't know that he has the ability and the power and the capacity to take broken pieces and put them back together again. I'll never even start that process unless I know that can happen. How can you know? How can you know? How can you know that the God that you come to can forgive and can restore? This is how you can know. He promises a son. He promises a son. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, the Lord gives, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. God promises a son. Emmanuel, God with us. And we see in the immediate context, there's hope for Ahaz, there's hope for God's people. Not only are they looking at these other sons, Shear Yeshuv, a remnant will return. Even the fallout and consequences of our sin can be put back together. Not only are they looking at, but through Meher Shalal Hashbaz, that the threat of chaos and war standing right in their face is going to fade. They're looking through these sons to the ultimate son the ultimate son that God would provide, God with us, that God made flesh, God stepping into humanity so that we can know, that we can know our greatest failures, the most devastating of the consequences of sin, when we place those in the hands of Jesus, when we place those in the hands of God, they can be forgiven and they can be restored. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? Have you received that? In this devastating moment, 
War before him, war, war surrounding him. In this low moment of Ahaz's failure of faith, God gives his word, God gives the promise, and it encourages us to look to the very son that God had promised that hundreds of years later, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise would come in the person of Jesus Christ, God with us. Remember what the angel said to Joseph, do not fear, do not fear. You will call his name Jesus. You will save his people from their sins. And behold, the virgin conceived and bore a son. His name is to be Emmanuel, God with us. That in the person of Jesus Christ, we have this hope that you can, you can trust God. You can trust God with your greatest sin and your greatest brokenness. Isaiah chapter 7 is encouraging us to trust the God who both fights our battles and forgives our sin. Whatever's waging, whatever war is waging right in front of you, whatever chaos is breathing down your neck, did you know that you can trust the God of the universe with that? He will fight your battles. He will go before. Did you know that you can take your greatest brokenness and hand it over to the hands of Jesus, and he forgives and he restores? Trust the God who fights your battles and forgives your sins. And that is a kind of hope that you can take Come what may, that whatever chaos you face in front of you, you can know there is hope. You can know there is, is certainty. Why? Because God is with you. God is near you. God is beside you. And do you see just how closely God comes to us? In his son, he is with us. In his spirit, he is in us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Death itself cannot separate us from the love of our God. Trust the God who goes before you, who, who stands beside you, who, who fights your battles for you. Lean into him. Receive the gift, receive salvation that is sent to you. God himself, Emmanuel, come what may. He's with you. Whatever you might face, he's beside you, inside of you, by his spirit. Whatever battle you might face, whatever sin wages within you know it can be forgiven. Both our, our lowest moments in the deep complexities of the fallout and collateral of our sin, when we hand those over to the God of the universe, those find healing and restoration and forgiveness. Have you released those burdens to him? Have you released those battles to him? I think it's significant and important to reflect on this, especially around the Christmas time and the Christmas season. Because this season brings up a whole bunch of different kinds of emotions and feelings, doesn't it? On the one hand, it can be incredibly joyful and celebratory and fun season, and that's wonderful and that's good. We thank God for that. You know, it can also be a season that stirs even deeper so some of the broken parts of our lives. Perhaps you might find yourself in this season, this month, reflecting on chapters past of things that you have done or left undone. You might find yourself glancing around a room of, of family or friends. Perhaps family is gathering and you have not seen them for a long time, but as you're glancing around the room, and perhaps simultaneously, there's joy and fulfillment of being together, but at the same time, sometimes intermingled in that can be also pain either relationships that are still strained with maybe years or decades of history. 
Maybe people that are no longer there, either lost to death or on a prodigal journey. Maybe as you're looking around that proverbial room at family and friends, you're looking at chapters where you wish you would have handled yourself differently. You wish you would have, could have a redo on that season and chapter of life. Know, know this, know this, that when you take all of that, all of that, in all of its complexities, of all of its weight, of all of its pain, know that when you hand that to Jesus, when you allow Jesus to step not only into the world, but into your world, and to bear those for you, there is true forgiveness true comfort, true hope, true restoration that can only come from our Emmanuel, God with us. So trust him. He goes with you. He never leaves you and forsake you. And he forgives and he restores. Let's pray. Father, we thank you how sure and deep and solid a foundation your word and your promises truly are. So, Father, I pray that we would all experience the certainty of the hope of your Son, the certainty of the hope of what you have extended to us, that you yourself, Lord, knew that the world was so broken you had to come, Yet love compelled you so truly, so deeply, Lord. It was your desire, it was your purpose, it was your intention to come all along for us. So, Lord, as we take all of those things that weigh in our hearts, maybe even right now, Lord, I pray that there would be burdens transferred from our shoulders onto yours, weighing us down, Lord, now born by you, the child come to save and rescue to grow into the man to hang on the cross, the one who would rise again to new life and bring us with because we are connected to you by faith. May we hope and rest in you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org. 